for God's word as it comes from John chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. It's one of those scriptures that's got all kinds of famous pieces in it. <laughs> everyone sort of, lots of people know Nicodemus from Sunday school and everyone remembers John 3.16 and all of those things. So listen for God's word to you and me. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can we be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. May God bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm honored, first of all, is that a microphone on? Okay. I think so. Okay. Uh, I'm honored that you're using my dialogues. I'm very gratified that you are. I just want to say a few words about them. Um, I started doing it, I served two parishes in Southern Chicago at the end of my ministry. I did it once in the first of those two parishes, and then I thought, well, I could use it again when I moved to a new one. And people seemed to like it. And I kind of intended, you'll see, usually it's a man and a woman, and the couples who did it would say, well, what are we going to do this year? So I was kind of forced (laughs) to write them, and I was there 10, 11 years, so I had a whole collection. Um, 
And, and again, they seemed to appreciate it. And when I retired, Marilyn said, you ought to get them published. <laughs> actually, a couple of people in the congregation said, you ought to do that. So I tried for a couple of years and found someone who published them. And so I'm glad to share them. Um, my intention was, most years, is to do some dialogues that focused on some of the main passages or main themes of the gospel for the year. So, like, there's three series of readings. One year it's Matthew, we're in the year of Matthew, and then Mark, and, and then Luke. Um, so, like, I did one series on <coughs> parables of Jesus only in the gospel of Matthew, for example. So it was a way, I thought, to help people learn more about the gospel that they were hearing Sunday by Sunday. <coughs> well, we don't have a year of John. However, uh, in the Lenten season, at least this year and some others, lessons from John are focused on. So I did do one series that you're using on uh, uh, passages from the Gospel of John. And I hope you'll agree by the end of this that I picked the passages that are most important. <laughs> at least there are five of them for the five weeks of Lent. I tried, well... I don't know if I should say this, but I found a lot of religious drama kind of sappy. So, so I didn't want to use things that were out there. So I wanted to write it on my own. Two things I wanted to do. I wanted to do some careful interpretation and, and biblical research that, that I based the dialogues on. And then I wanted the dialogues to be, I don't know, authentic, natural conversation between two people. And then you'll judge if that works. I tried to throw in a little humor. <laughs> You'll see if that's true. It's not true at all. But I got kind of a natural conversation between two people. Uh, and so, and I wanted to make it easy to do. So people didn't have to memorize it. They can read it as long as they would practice ahead of time. Uh, it didn't have to be, the stage didn't have to be set in some fancy way. It would just be two people sitting in front uh, so I wanted it simple and easy to, to share. Uh, and so I think that's enough said. And, and I hope that as you go this, this will help you reflect on the passages for Lent that you'll be hearing Sunday by Sunday. So the first one is based on <coughs> what you'll be hearing next Sunday. The rest that was just read. And the narrator. Our news station, which is WJWS. News 3. <laughs> our news station has heard many reports about Jesus of Nazareth. To learn more about this Jesus, we are interviewing several people who have witnessed him firsthand. Tonight we have sent Angela Evans. i got to tell you this. <laughs> Why the name? I love puns. Evans... Evangelical Gospel Angela Angel <laughs> Next week you'll hear Harold Evans Harold <laughs> I didn't have to tell you that It seems natural Why shouldn't she be called Angela Evans T Tonight we have sent Angela Evans to interview Nicodemus A religious scholar And a member of the Sanhedrin Who met with Jesus um, So that he could understand him better Angela this is Angela Evans reporting for, from
from JWWSTD outside of Villa near the temple in Jerusalem. We are talking with Nicodemus, a leader among the Pharisees. Nicodemus, you have just returned from what you have called a strange encounter. Whom did you meet tonight? Well, Angela, I met Jesus of Nazareth, a teacher and a miracle worker from Galilee, who is here in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Why did you meet with this Jesus? Well, Angela, we began to hear reports about miracles that Jesus performed up in Galilee. They seem to have been signs indicating something special about him. Jesus also caused quite a disturbance a few days ago when he chased the merchants and the money changers out of the temple area. He thought his followers believe he has great devotion to pure worship of God. I wanted to find out for myself about this man. Well, why did you tell me this was a strange encounter? Well, this Jesus did not seem to be the kind of person I was expecting. I assumed he would be an ordinary teacher and miracle worker, but his replies to my questions seemed like strange riddles to me. Can you give us an example? When I asked if he was a teacher come from God, he replied that to see God's kingdom, you must be born again. (laughs) At least that's what I thought he said. That's what you thought he said? What did he really say? Not really sure. (laughs) When I asked how in the world can someone enter his mother's womb and be born again, he almost seemed to laugh at me and replied that to enter God's kingdom, you have to be born of water and the wind. Born of water and the wind? That is strange. What do you think he meant? Well, by born of water, he may have meant ordinary birth. Or, since some of his followers were also followers of John the Baptist, he may mean the religious washing of baptism. But the wind part? I don't understand Isn't it true that the word wind can also be used for the Spirit of God? Perhaps so. See how puzzling his speech is? He did something about the contrast between earthly and heavenly things. Maybe he was saying that the kingdom of God has something to do with earthly things. Perhaps even including our religious rituals. But also with heavenly things. Things of the spirit that can't always be predicted or controlled. I wonder if there's another double meaning. Uh, What do you mean? Well, you said that Jesus told you that you must be born again. But those words can also mean born from above. Perhaps Jesus is saying that to be part of God's kingdom, you must be born from above. That is given a new spiritual birth through God's spirit. And as you said, this may mean a change that you can't predict or control. What changes do you think God's spirit might bring to people who believe in this Jesus? Well, that's a really good question. But I don't know how to answer that question right now. But he said one more strange thing. What was that? He said something about the Son of Man. He seemed to be talking about himself. Must be lifted up. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. What did he mean by lifted up? Mm, That's another part of the puzzle. If we think of the story of Moses and the serpent in the wilderness, lifted up would mean being tied to a pole. That's how being crucified to me. To me too as well. A sad and depressing thought. 
But he made it sound like something more joyful or victorious. For it would lead to eternal life. Could crucifixion be a victory? Well, for our people, crucifixion has usually meant cruel defeat and agonizing death. That's right. But Jesus gave a hint of talking about defeat. No hint of talking about defeat. In fact, he talked about how much God loves the world. The world and not just God's own people? That's right. The world. God said that God sent his son. And Jesus seemed to be talking about himself. He said that God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it and to offer people eternal life. Well, Nicodemus, what do you make of your encounter with Jesus? Well, actually, uh, uh, Angela, this, the, the experience is too fresh and puzzling for me. But, but Jesus does seem to have a message that God's spirit will lead us to in new directions. And give us new birth in some way. I will want to watch and see how his being lifted up will save us. Thank you, Nicodemus, for answering our questions about your strange encounter with this Jesus of Nazareth. Back to you in the studio at WJWS. Thank you, Angela, for your interesting report. Poor Nicodemus. Religious scholar that he was, he seemed very confused and befuddled by what Jesus was saying. Especially when he said that you had to be born from above or born again. Well, understand that we could maybe give him a pass because the same Greek word can be translated again and from above. And so what did Jesus mean? And what, how did Nicodemus hear it? And likewise, the same Greek word can be translated wind or spirit. And I might add spirit with a capital S or a small s. So there's some built-in double meanings. And you'll find that in the Gospel of John throughout. A number of times there will be a double meanings or a special symbolic kind of use of language. So it's not surprising that Nicodemus might be a little confused. What about us? If someone asked us if we were born again, actually, I want to start step back. Imagine if someone who didn't know anything about Christianity came and heard us talking about being born again. What might they understand that to mean? Or even think of us. If we heard someone talking about that, that phrase being born again is used in different ways among different Christians. I think I served once as a campus pastor at UCLA, and I think once I was walking across campus and someone asked, are you born again? Well, I said, yeah, when I was baptized. That's not what they expected as an answer. My, one of my good friends who's a Catholic priest, yeah. and, and he's a Palestinian Arab, they, they, the Christians who were Muslim all, all ask him that all the time. Yeah. And he always says, I'm a firstborn Christian. Okay. <laughs> so it can mean different things, okay? But I want to talk about baptism. Uh, is, is, is baptism something that means being born again? Well, we think so. We think that in baptism we're born again as God's children. And that we are then introduced into the kingdom of God 
by being born of yeah, water and the Spirit in baptism. Okay. Uh, oh, isn't that just a once-and-done ritual that doesn't mean anything beyond that? Well, we don't like to think that way. Um, pardon me for quoting Martin Luther. Uh, go for it. <laughs> Martin Luther used to think, or used to say that we should remember our baptism every day. Yep. That when we splash water in our faces in the morning, we should also think of the waters of baptism. And so that we remind ourselves day by day of God's gracious love and acceptance of, of us in God's family, but also the challenge of what it means to live as someone born of the Spirit. So I'm talking about baptism. I want to tell you my favorite baptism story. Uh, and this, this goes when I was at Muhlenberg in the 80s. And um, someone, one, a student came to me in the chaplain's office and asked me to baptize her baby. And so I agreed. Well, her sister had two little girls. I think they were like six and eight. Maybe they were four and six. I don't know, but they were little. But, but her sister had an uh, infant boy and wanted him baptized as well. So it was Palm Sunday that year, and, and we had a baptism. And the two little girls were very intently watching me. I was dressed in my clergy gowns at that point, And they watched me as I baptized their brother and their cousin. Later that year, in July, I married, performed the wedding for, um, a third sister. And that sister had those two little girls, her nieces, be the flower girls. And, and then their mother was the matron of honor. So, okay, we had the rehearsal. And I was kind of dressed like this for the rehearsal. Um, probably a sport coat, not a full suit. Well, anyway, um, so, okay, we, we practiced. And the bridesmaids came up, and then the, the two little girls came up. Fine, just walked up the long Mulebert Chapel aisle, just fine. And then their mother, the matron of honor, came up, and everything went fine. The day of the wedding, of course, I was dressed up in my clergy robes. Okay, so we started the wedding. Bridesmaids came in. The older, those two little girls, did fine. The younger girl came up halfway in the aisle, stopped dead in her tracks, turned around and ran back to her mother, waiting to come in as the major mother. So, okay, mother took her hand and brought her up to the wedding. At the reception... The grandmother talked to the little girl and said, you did so well at the rehearsal. What happened? I saw the baptism man and I was afraid it was going to be wet. <laughs> well, maybe she was on to something. Uh-huh, absolutely. Maybe she'd be afraid of the waters of baptism. Because what happens? Yes, we're God's children, but then we're challenged to live as one who's born of the Spirit. We're challenged to remember that we're sealed with the Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever, and that might mean something about how we live. That by the waters of baptism, we're challenged to show that love that is in our chapter. The, the, the profound love of God that cared for the world so much that God sent His only Son to die for us. And so the waters of baptism can be a real challenge that we live up to what and where the Spirit might lead us. So, as we reflect on our baptism, as we reflect on Nicodemus, may we find the wisdom and the courage to follow the Spirit and to follow the way of being born of the Spirit and the Spirit of God's love. 
Amen. Thank you so much, Roger. Um, as I uh, as I gave you that preview of him, you now know why I, I love it so much. And it must be something about this room, too, because you completely mesmerized all the pastors of the Lehigh Mission District a couple of weeks ago back in the chapel in the same way that he's done that. There's nothing in the coffee. Yet. <laughs> There's nothing in the coffee. <laughs> do any of you have, before we finish our time together, do any of you have any questions about the scripture for Roger that you might be able to answer or um, any other comments? I just have one really quick one, um, a, ba- a baptismal story, different. It was at a con- music conference um, at college, uh, Westminster College in um, Pennsylvania. And um, this guy who's an expert on liturgy and all this stuff and loved to renew people's baptisms. Chip um, is gone now, but he was an amazing person. And it was this big, long chapel with balconies like this all the way around. And every day in worship, so the conference was doing Lent in the summertime so that you could get the musicians and the pastors could get ready for Lent. They tried all kinds of things in worship and showed it to us. And he renewed our baptism every day, or sometimes twice a day. So this little kid, five years old, was with his mother the whole time. And the last day, Chip went crazy, <laughs> as he often does, and literally made it rain. He ran around, physically ran around the whole chapel, raining down water on us. And when he got done, he said, I have to stop the service and tell you something. When he did that, this little kid who had been there every day and been listening, a five-year-old who listens, is it, it, we got to always remember that they're always listening, even if they're doing something else. <laughs> paid so much attention that when Chip came close to them and the water came down, he went, ah! And Chip said, I started crying on the spot. Because the little kid got it way more than the adults did. His baptism was being renewed. He was being lifted up. And this blessing was coming down upon him. So those are those are amazing baptism stories. And we need to always remember that. And Nicodemus is asking the questions that I think all of us ask. In his own way. Can I imagine you running up there? (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps. Sometimes I go back to the choir (laughs) and run up the steps when they're up the steps. That's a great story. (laughs) So those those are important things. Yeah, Linda, please. Oh, I love. Why don't we use water on Confirmation Sunday when people are affirming their baptism? become members of the church. Good question. Let's do it. Next time we have confirmation. Uh, uh-huh. Or well, the new member service yeah. confirming the baptism and becoming. Right. So we don't use I, I think they want to say that baptism is a once right for all yeah. But I don't know. There's a baptismal fund. I mean, some churches, I don't know if you do this now, but some churches have water in the baptismal fund mm-hmm. so that you can yeah. remember your baptism. Correct. And that would be surely appropriate to do at a confirmation. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And when I've been in the Holy Land and you, you're with a bunch of baptized Christians, um, my one friend almost lost almost lost it. Gordon teaches at Princeton Seminary. And we had an Episcopal friend with us who said, who wants to be baptized again? And Gordon's like, oh no, I'm going to lose my ordination. Um, because they, he, we, Gordon invited us into the Jordan to renew our baptism yeah. and use a, a service of renewal. But the, oh, Jeff is dunking people and they're thinking they're getting baptized again. That's not, we don't need to do that. No. 
And the other one, while we're talking about it, is it used to be true in the earliest church when we were talking about baptism that the, the name was not given to the baby until the baby was baptized in the Orthodox, the earliest days of the Orthodox Church. And still to this day, that's sort of that, and that's where Godmother came from. The mother was usually sick or in some cases dying or had died. The, the Godmother was given the baby and rushed the baby to the church so that the baby could quickly be baptized and be given its Christian name. And oh, by the way, no Orthodox priest worth their salt will admit this, but it said that if the baby doesn't cry when they baptize them, they pinch them, so they do cry, because why? They're born again. So that's, that, you know, and then in some Orthodox churches, they feed them communion, too, with a silver spoon in the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox church. They shove a piece of bread dipped in wine into the baby's mouth when the baby is baptized. So there's that, that t- our modern contention is that, that it doesn't matter necessarily if the baby dies before they're baptized because we know that they're protected and everyone's praying for them. But at the same time, symbolically, it's important to so many people for the baby to be baptized as soon as possible um, so that they're quote-unquote protected. Um, but so that we can go on telling those baptism stories and how important they are. And then some of the most amazing ones are the stories of adults being baptized, coming to faith later in life and remembering that experience. Because most of us who were baptized, if you were baptized as a baby, I was baptized when I was 13. Um, most of you don't remember specifically your baptism. But I was christened when I was a baby and then made a profession of faith at 13 and was dunked. <laughs> Full immersion baptism. <laughs> Um, so there's all of those things that we need to think about. And I love what Roger said. I, I'm big, I really like it when I'm driving in the rain with the wipers going on the car. For some reason, that remember, I remember my baptism when that happens. And then the shower is another time that I always remember my baptism. So that's another thing that we can do. We can constantly remember our baptism whenever we hear. Sometimes when I hear water running off a roof, for some reason, it's another time I remember. And usually it's leaking, but... <laughs> Are the same shape like a shell? Yes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, again, it's like the shell of baptism. You know, that could be a helpful. Sandy? When talking about renewing uh, your baptism, uh, I belong to Salem United Church of Christ in Allentown, and we closed many years ago. But for our last worship service together, um, Alan Miller, I think, was the um, conference minister at the time, and our pastor that was there then for us uh, was more like an interim. But they went around with um, prawns from the, the palms. Right. And they just went yeah. like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Give us a fancy, often gold scepter that where it sprinkles holy water. Originally that was a branch, or a parsley or something like that where they used and it's been translated ecclesiastically into this jeweled thing of precious metal. But that's that's the holy water that's sprinkled on people. Is another way of renewing your baptism. But she's reminding me of something I was thinking of too. <laughs> so you all know this, of course. Martin Luther was born November 10th. Yes, November 10th. Okay. Why is he called Martin? Because he was baptized the next day, which is St. Martin's Day. Martin of Tours, mm-hmm. but he's a saint. Um, 
So that's how he got his, his name. His, his Christian name, yeah, took up yeah. next door to the next day. So fascinating stuff. Any other comments or questions? Please keep thinking about it. You're going to get this again on Sunday. Um, the, the text will be read on Sunday, and I'm preaching a sermon on it. So we're um, hoping that uh, we get those these stories um, to be part of who you are. And each time you hear it, that you learn more about it, and you understand more about it, and all those things. So so thank you I for coming on our journey. One thing, please. It doesn't seem to be too much of, of this lesson. But in the Gospel of John, the crucifixion... The cross seems like a throne. It, it's like the way John talks about the crucifixion, it, it, it makes it sound like it's a triumph rather than... Right. Uh, so that's just, I guess, one of the theological themes I tried to sneak in. That as you're hearing John, it might be a little different than what you get, say, in, in, in Matthew and Mark, where, where all you hear from Jesus is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh-huh. Um, so each of the Gospels has a little different emphasis. And, and I try to reflect John's in today's dialogue. And a fair warning, John is my favorite gospel. So you're all going to are in trouble. Because, so the sermon will only be two hours long. <laughs> somebody is bringing lunch. <laughs> Very good. So um, since, since you've all been sitting for a while, why don't you all stand up if you're able, and we'll read this, this prayer, this going out prayer together um, as we go. Let us pray. God, who knit me together in my mother's womb, thank you for choosing me first and choosing me again each passing day. May I endeavor to step forward and accept your choosing and living gratefully in being known and loved by you. Now, this is a quote from one of my very favorite uh, devotional writers and big thinkers. Richard Rohr is a Catholic priest, but he has followers even outside the Christian faith who read his devotions all the time. And uh, he's pretty amazing. So you can read, you got to read this one a couple times. I'll read it once for you out loud, but then take it home and read it tomorrow morning or some other time. Here it goes. God's one-of-a-kind job description is that God actually uses our problems to lead us to the full solution. God is the perfect recycler. And in the economy of grace, nothing is wasted. Not even our worst sins and our most stupid mistakes. Think about that one for a while. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up and light his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for coming tonight, and uh, tell your friends um, we, we've got some more space around the table. Um, and thank you for coming, and thank you to Roger. How about that? Huh? Yes, yes. Um, so we look forward to Roger and Marilyn coming back to be with us uh, at the end of our time. Thank you.